Father, we want to experience your presence, oh God. And everything that comes with your presence. The love that comes with your presence. The freedom that comes in your presence. The joy that's experienced in your presence, almighty God. And Lord, we thank you. We give you honor and glory for those at this altar who right now in this moment are already experiencing the freedom of that presence, oh God. We thank you, Lord, that in faith they've responded and that you have spoken a word into their heart. You have lifted chains off their hands. You have made them lighter than they've ever been, almighty God. And Lord, I also pray for those who maybe in this moment have yet to experience the fullness of that. Lord, I, I pray against discouragement. I pray against doubt. Father God, I just pray that you would remind them to seek you in every aspect, almighty God. Lord, I'm just even now thinking about the, the father who came to you with this son who he loved so much and asked if you are willing, would you be able to set his son free? And Lord, it wasn't a question of if, it was a question of belief. So Father, even those of us in this room who are struggling to believe that you can set us free, help us, Lord, with our unbelief. Help us, Lord, with those areas in our life that we still struggle to fully embrace and to fully let go. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you don't cast us off because of moments of doubt and moments of fear, but you bring us closer, Lord. Because as much as we desire your presence, you want our presence too, God. You want to be with us, Lord. You gave everything on the cross so there would be no barrier between you and your children. And so, Father, I just pray, would you remain in this place, God? Would your spirit speak to the heart of every individual in this room that they may hear exactly what they need to hear from you, God? Lord, I pray that my voice would shrink and yours would rise up, almighty God. That you will speak clarity wisdom, love, and understanding to all of us in this room. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everyone said? Amen. amen. Come on. Amen, amen. You may head back to your seats. Come on now. Good job, guys. Awesome. Damien, you got me going, Damien. <laughs> Come on, God. Hey, listen, I, I said this, but I'll reiterate. I never want to waste an opportunity when we're in God's house, amen? And this is what I keep trying to encourage uh, everyone on Sunday. Like, nothing wrong with Sunday, but man, I just know the people that are in this room that come out on Wednesday night, you come with a greater expectation and a hope and an understanding of what God's doing. And so I believe because of that, there's a greater freedom for the Spirit of God to move in those moments. And so I just want, I want to thank you for making a priority to be here each and every Wednesday night. I'm really excited about the series that we've been in. My love, can I get, you're just tucking it away under your Bible. Um, and so uh, if you were here last week, We've been in kind of a, a sub-series, if I can coin that phrase. Uh, Sunday, we're doing a series on Teach Us to Pray, and we are looking at uh, Luke chapter 11 and the portion that we often uh, refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And on Wednesday, we're going a few verses later in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 10, and another famous portion of Scripture that's uh, sometimes titled in your Bibles, Ask, Seek, and Knock. Last week, we talked about what it means to ask, and today I want to go into the second portion of that piece of scripture and what it means to seek. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read that verse in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 10. It says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now it's important to understand the tense of this scripture is continuous. So when it says ask, seek, and knock, it doesn't mean ask once, seek once, knock once. It means to repeatedly do this. Ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. This is something that we are called to do continually and continually meaning without stopping. Now, as I was praying about that and looking at that, it's very easy for us when we think about that portion, seek, to wonder, why do I have to continually seek after God? In other words, some might wonder, why does God keep hiding from me? Is God playing some cosmic game of hide and seek where he's constantly playing with our emotions and every time we think we got him, he runs and hides somewhere else so that we can go look for him again? And I don't think that's necessarily always the, the reason, although I do think there are times where God might hide himself, but that's only, in my opinion, to get you to move out of a place that you're not willing to move out of. And so I, I just thinking about that, um, my youngest one, she's daddy's girl for sure, but she's also like the wildest one right now. She's like climbing everything and finding ways to climb everything. And there are times where I hear my wife trying to get her attention and she's not wanting to leave the dangerous place she's trying to get into and so I will hide somewhere and call out to her and then I'll hear her giggle and go look for me now yes I want to play with her and I want to have that moment but I'm also trying to get her away from where she is and closer to where I am so there I think there are moments where God may hide himself in order to get you away from where you are and closer to where he is on the same notion I don't think that God is playing hide and seek in a cruel way I don't think it's God running and hiding from us as much as we can often run and hide from God. Okay, we are the ones who naturally, because of our sinful nature, drift away periodically or from time to time from the presence of God. Uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, I like to go fishing, and there was this one time I was out fishing on a lake, and usually I have a little trolley motor that kind of keeps me going at a certain pace and in a certain place, but we didn't have it at that time, so I'm in a canoe. And I'm trying to fish, and every time I'm casting and I'm reeling, I have to stop, put my pole down, get my a paddle, and try to paddle away from the shore. Because in a canoe, I'm at the mercy of the current. The current is going to take me, and it always wants to take me back to the shore, because that's where I was fishing around. So every time I wanted to fish, I would get dragged back to the shore. So periodically, I had to take my paddle out and get back to where I was trying to be. I think because of the sinful nature in us, when you stop pursuing God, you will naturally drift away from him. When we stop seeking God, we suddenly start hiding from God. It's one or the other. It's not like you can just stand in one place forever. When you stop seeking God, it's very natural for you to start drifting away from God. It's the same way where if you miss one Sunday, it's easy to miss two Sundays. It's easy to miss three Sundays. And all you know, you haven't been to church in 10 years. Because one little drift can easily take you a mile, 10 miles, 100 miles off course. So because of that, 
And the Bible is telling us, hey, just because you found me 10 years ago at an altar call when you were a teenager doesn't mean you're finding me today. You've drifted over those 10 years or you've drifted over that last week. Yes, Sunday was great. You found me in a wonderful moment, but it's been a few days and you've drifted from me. And so naturally we got to stop, get our little praying paddle and get back to the presence of God. This is why your daily appointment with God is so critically important, important because it keeps you from drifting too far away. It keeps you in step and in place with where the presence of God is and where the presence of God is trying to take you because as far as I know, and most mature Christians in this room will tell you, God is not a stagnant God who just stays in one place. God is continually on the move. And so if you think that God is still where he was in 1987, you've missed the mark, okay? God is beyond that now. And so that's why I've often said to people, you can tell what year a church died by its decor. If you walk in and it still looks like 1972, that's the last time that church tried, okay? And that's not to say the core is the end-all, be-all, but a lot of people, they just get, well, this is my music and this is my, my decor and this is the, what I like, and you think that what you liked when you were 17 is what this 17-year-old likes today. And so we, we gotta be able to move, not in step with culture and not in step with what's in the fad, but still in step with what the Spirit of God is doing. And so uh, you look at that in the Bible and in Deuteronomy, the people of God had drifted. And as a result of their drifting, they had began to sin and they began to do things and, and were missing God's warning. And as a result of that, God was going to allow them to be put into captivity by a foreign nation. And as they're about to drift into that, God gives them all these warnings. Hey, listen, this is going to happen now because of what you did. These are the outcomes. These are the consequences of your sin. And he tells them, you're going to be placed in a godless generation. And many of you are going to turn to those godlessness. And you're going to do things that I told you never to do. And he really spells it all out. But then he gives them hope. And he reminds them something in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 through 30. And this is the verse that I really want to hone in on this evening. He gives them the, all this stuff that's going to happen. Then he says this, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. Okay, he says, listen, all this is going to happen. And, and, and you're going to feel so far away from God, so distant from the Lord. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. It says, but if he encourages, I'm sorry, he encourages them and saying this, no matter how far you drift, you can always find your way back if you seek. And that's the key to that. You will not find your way, you don't drift back to God. You seek your way back to God. You don't accidentally stumble back into the presence of the Lord. There is a seeking that happens within your heart, within your soul, within your spirit that then helps you get back into the presence of God and into fellowship with the Lord. So if you're taking notes, there's a few things I think are important when it comes to seeking. And the first one is this, you have to be willing to seek with all your heart. When, when I mean seek by all your heart, what I'm talking about is, is passion. Many of us, when we drift, we drift from passion for the Lord. That's why the Bible says in Romans, never be lacking in spiritual zeal, but keep your fervor for the Lord. And so a lot of times what happens is, hey, we still go to church, but in our heart, we've drifted away. We're not passionate anymore. 
That's why we keep trying to encourage you when, like when Dada was saying, hey, lift up your hands. It's about passion. It's about being, and some people might say, well, I'm just not passionate like that. Maybe not for the Lord, but there is something that's going to get you to lift your hands up. There is something that's going to get that passion to rise in you. I've seen the quietest of people get passionate when it's the right thing. And so what God is saying is, how come you're getting so passionate about that, but you're no longer passionate about me? In the same way, and I, my wife is here, she'll tell you the same thing. If she saw me more passionate about something else that wasn't her or my family, she'd have some questions for me. She'd start to wonder. She might even start to feel insecure and wonder, is his heart for me like it used to be? And so there's continually, we joked the other day, periodically, I don't know if all women do this, but my wife has done this. Periodically, I'll just be sitting there minding my own business and she'll look at me and go, do you still love me? And I'm like... Yeah, why wouldn't I love you? Like, it's just a, the randomness out of the blue, nothing happens. Do you still like me? Yes, I still like you. But I know that she likes to be reminded of that. And because I know that about my wife, I don't wait for her necessarily to ask that question. I periodically just tell her, hey, heads up, I still like you. And that, you know, that gives me enough peace for a day or two. Now, God is not insecure. God does not wonder if you like him or not. God actually knows that your heart's drifting. And God knows that you're not passionate about him anymore. Really, the indicators are things that you're supposed to notice to see, you know what? I don't worship God like I did when I first got saved. I don't pray passionately like I once did. It's something that I kind of throw up there. It's an obligation because we're fasting and, you know, I'm, I skipped the meal. I might as well pray. And, and so it's something that we do. But how many know? Nobody wants a favor done without the heart and the love in it. You know, so if I'm like, hey, Damien, would you mind giving me a bottle of water? And he's rolling his eyes at me going, I don't want to give his own bottle of water. Oh, you know what, Damien? No, I got it. I don't need you to give me the bottle of water, bro. I'll get it myself, <laughs> right? Because it's not that I need it, it's that I'm asking. And so in the same way, if we are in the presence of God, but it's obvious to him and to you that you don't care to be, that's why the Bible says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Lukewarm actually makes me vomit. It makes God nauseous your lukewarmness. And so what happens when we seek God, we help to avoid that passion drifting away. We, we, we draw closer and, and uh, again, too often when we approach God, we approach him lacking passion. Here's what I've discovered. The more I seek the presence of God, the more passionate I become about the presence of God. It's a very natural thing. Right, The more time, it's like uh, you haven't seen a friend in a long time and you hang out with them. And after hanging out, you're like, man, I remember why I loved hanging out with that person so much. I remember, I miss them even more now. Even though we hung out, I miss them more because now I've just been reminded of what we used to have. And it's like anybody else. We've all been in those dry seasons and then we, we seek the presence of God and we get into that moment where we recognize that the presence of God is here and, and there's all this passion wells up in us. But here's the reality. Passion oftentimes in the Bible is illustrated with fire. The quickest way for a fire to die out is to neglect it. If you just neglect it, it'll eventually die out. It runs out of fuel. Too many of us have neglected our fire for God and now our passion for God has died out. First Chronicles chapter 28 verse nine says it like this. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. I love what it says, right? He, the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire 
and every thought. So let me give you the flip side. You can be at the altar during worship, hands lifted, jumping up and down, run up, take the mic out of Jessica's hand, sing a better solo. You can do all that and God knows, yeah, but your heart's not right. Right? And I'll use Jessica because I love Jessica. She's a great example. I just, I always sense Jessica's passion for the Lord and her love for the Lord. But here's the truth. Only God really knows where her heart is. And so she can lead the entire congregation in worship and her heart not be right. And God knows that. And to God, your worship is a farce. It's worthless to me. And so it's not just about being demonstrative because you can be demonstrative and be passionateless. You can say words and they be empty. It's about the combination. It's about being passionate within and then allowing that passion to come out in action and in, in what you say and how you act and your pursuit. And, and the irony is when you seek God, you grow in passion for being more passionate to seek God. And so it becomes reciprocal. I sought the Lord and as I found him, my passion grew to seek him more. And so I, I gained that momentum. I gained that energy to want to continue to seek his face. So church, I want to encourage you. Don't allow too much time for your passion to drift. Be quick to catch those moments. Be self-reflective, even in your prayer time as we're praying, to ask the Lord, Lord, has my heart drifted from you? Right? When we look at Revelation, very famous when God wrote the letter to Ephesus. He says, Ephesus, you do all these things so wonderfully well, but I hold this one thing against you. You don't love me like you used to. So what is God saying? Everything else you do for me, what does it matter if you don't love me? What does it matter if I provide for my home, if I bring home groceries, if I, if I make sure that our bills are paid and that everything's taken care of, but I don't love my wife and children? What, what does that matter to them then? What matters is that I love the Lord, that I love my family, that I love passionately his presence. And as I do that, I will grow in my love and passion for the Lord. But it only happens continually as you continue to seek him with all your heart. Now, number two, it says, love the, or seek the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So if you're taking notes, number two is seek him with all your soul. Now, what's the difference? Heart has to do with passion. Soul has to do with the will and the mind. It has to do with understanding and deciding. This is the most important part, I think, because uh, you can easily get swept up with passion, but seeking God with your will is the rootedness of your consistency and your discipleship with the Lord. In other words, keeping your daily appointment with God is about seeking him with your will. It's about those moments where you know, I don't feel like it. My passion isn't there, which by the way, passion is so much more than feeling. But let's just say for argument's sake, my passion's not there, but my commitment has stayed. Because I don't just love God with my heart, I love him with my soul. And so sometimes if I can say this as reverently as I can, uh, the soul is the fail break of the heart. So when the heart quits, the soul's like, I'm jumping in. <laughs> when the heart says, I don't feel this anymore, the soul says, but I'm committed to you, Lord. When I don't love my wife emotionally, I'm still committed to her practically. I'm not stepping out on her because we had an argument and I'm not going to run off and allow somebody else to take my heart because my commitment is more than my feelings. And in the same way, my commitment to the Lord sustains me when doubt creeps up, when passion fades, when I start to wonder and question who the Lord is and if he even knows what he's doing. And yet that commitment to God to say, no, I have committed my life to you, Lord. And I know that where I'm at right now is a season, not a lifetime. 
And so we got to learn to be able to seek God with our soul to allow the Lord to root us and anchor us in who he is. And a lot of that happens, you know, we kind of talked about passion being with worship. I would argue that soul has to do with seeking God, especially when you're reading your Bible. Because you can't be rooted in the word if you don't know the word. (laughs) And so in order to be able to love God with our mind and with our will, we have to be able to know God's mind and God's will. There's only one way to know God's mind and God's will, and that's reading your word. And so if you don't read, I should say his word, if you don't read his word, you'll never know his mind, his will. And if you don't know his mind, his will, how can you root yours with his? Listen, Psalm 42, verse one through two. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My God, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? There has to be a hunger in your soul for the presence of God. There's a saying that says, uh, hungry dogs run faster. Hungry dogs run faster. Have you lost your appetite for the Lord? Uh, Are you not willing to seek him with your whole soul anymore? because you've gotten tired or because you've gotten weary or because, you know, it's just been so long you holding on that you don't feel like you could hold on any longer. And again, I think there's the reciprocal nature of seeking God. When you seek him with all your soul, the Bible says that you will find him. And as you find him, you find rest for your spirit. You find rest for your soul. That's why it says, my soul longs for you as a deer pants for water. When I find that water, there is satisfaction for my thirst. So when I seek God with all my soul and I find God, my soul finds respite. My soul is satisfied in the Lord. And here's an important reality to understand. When your heart and your soul are not satisfied in the Lord, you will seek to satisfy them with something else. Because your soul and your heart will not go unsatisfied. So if you don't satisfy them with the presence of God, if you don't seek the Lord, you'll seek Babylon like Deuteronomy. That's why they worshiped foreign gods. That's why they allowed their hearts to drift to people that they weren't supposed to drift to. That's why if you follow the life of the Israelites, they were in a constant sense of drifting and they always drifted to what they saw around them. Continually to what they saw around them as they saw as more appetizing, probably because they weren't seeing the Lord anymore. They weren't seeking him. And because they weren't seeking him, they were finding other things. And the reality is those other things might satisfy temporarily, but never eternally. They will always leave you hungry. They will always leave you thirsty. And that's why the Bible says, you know, whoever finds me, the bread of life we talked about on Sunday, will never be hungry again. The woman at the well, when you take a drink from me, you will never be thirsty again. The satisfaction of your soul and your spirit can only be overcome or or fulfilled within the presence of the Lord. Everything else will leave you hungry and thirsty again. So, if you seek the Lord with all your heart and you seek him with all your soul, what else is there to do? Well, I think there's a third part that kind of goes into the second verse of Deuteronomy that we read. Let me read that one more time. If you can put that verse back up, Deuteronomy chapter 4, 29 through 30. It says, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with your heart and with all your soul. And listen, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. Third thing is this. When we seek God, it has to be with an obedient heart, with an obedient spirit. What do I mean by that? The uh, proof 
of seeking God with all your heart and with all your soul is in the obedience that you have when you find him. So what does that mean as in regard to our prayer life? If I'm seeking God with my whole heart, my whole soul in prayer, how many know God speaks back to us, right? God talks. You don't always listen, but God is always speaking. The problem is this, when God speaks, what will you do with what he says? That is the true test of whether you're seeking God with your whole heart or with your whole soul. Because a lot of times, I would argue sometimes uh, it happens often, we don't like what God says. So what do we do? We ask the question over again. Because you know, heaven's so far away, it kind of got muffled along the way. Maybe God meant, th- you meant this, right? God, God said, no, I meant what I said. <laughs> and can I tell you something? This is a good indicator. Um, we, I, I've often found in my life when God is the most clear is when I doubt and when God is unclear is when I'm like, oh, you said this. <laughs> and so if you're like, oh, God must have not said that, probably, he probably did <laughs> because I think a lot of times it just requires obedience and it requires being able to trust God with your whole heart and with your whole soul. So you got to think about it like this. If my heart and my soul given everything to seek God got me here, Why am I going to stop short of following through with what God says to me there? Right? It got me to that point where I experienced his presence. And I was just, I was talking to Pastor Izzy about this earlier, where I was saying, hey, I think it was a doctor's visit that he had. And I was like, well, what'd they say? He's like, well, they told me to do this, this, this. And it was was a bunch of like crazy sounding things. Nothing complicated, but just crazy sounding things. And I go, did you you do that? He goes, no. (laughs) It's like, well, that's why you still have the problem. <laughs> and again, it's like, it reminds me, is it, my wife always remember, we were just trying to remember the name, uh, dipping himself in the Jordan. Naaman. Naaman. Thank you, my love. I just love your Bible reading. Um, if you read in the Old Testament, Naaman, who, who was not a, a man of God, but was stricken with leprosy, he goes to the prophet of the Lord and the prophet of the Lord gives him instructions. Not even him, he sent his servant to go give instructions. And he tells him, go dip yourself in the Jordan River. And he's like, that dirty, nasty river, there's better rivers back home. And he gets into this whole complaint that this is ridiculous, that the man himself didn't even come and see me. He just, he just told me to go dip in the river. And he was about to walk away when his servant's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He asked you to do a simple thing. If he would have asked you to climb 10 mountains, you would have done that because you thought that was enough. He's asking you to do a simple thing and you're not willing to be obedient to that. And here's the reality. No matter what God asks you to do, the key is, are you being obedient to that? So you're praying and you're praying about an individual that you don't like and God says, hey, I want you to bless them. And you're like, Lord, surely you mean strike them down with your fire and fury that can only come from you. I will be your instrument and your weapon of destruction, God. No, I want you to kill them with kindness. I want you to bless them. That's hard to obey. Hey, Father, I'm praying about this issue with, with my relative. Would you help them to, to turn their heart right and to, to say they're sorry? And it's like, no, I want you to go forgive them. I didn't do anything. Yeah, but they're living rent-free in your mind right now. And, and this is gonna be the first step. Obedience to God is very hard if you are not in with your whole heart and your whole soul. I've often used this illustration, but it just makes the most sense to me. Uh, I, when I was in swim class, I think it was like sophomore year, they made us go to swim class. And uh, I would see people dive into the pool and I never learned how to dive into a pool. So they kept telling me, it's like, all right, so you're gonna dive next. And I would see people do it effortlessly, just like the, no ripples in the water, like they were dolphins. They're just going right in there. And I would try to do it and I 
belly flopped every time and it hurts. Like I got asthma. So the wind would always get knocked out of me and I have this big old red belly and it was just annoying and embarrassing. But I realized later on, it's because I did this. You know how they teach you to do that? I did this, but my legs weren't obedient as much as my hands were. So when I would do it, my toes would like claw onto the side of the pool. Like I wasn't willing to go with everything. And because I didn't go with everything, I hurt myself more than I helped myself. Listen, sometimes you got to trust God by diving all the way in. Because if you hesitate a little bit, your belly flop. And then you think this whole thing's stupid. No, you just were partially obedient. See, when we, when we look at scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God here, the, the prophet Samuel is speaking to Saul. Saul at the time is the king of Israel, but this is the moment where he loses his kingship. He, he is told to go into this kingdom and do certain things. And he almost did all of those certain things, but he didn't do it all. He was partially obedient, and partial obedience is still disobedience. And so listen to what the prophet says. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Hey, what's more important to God? Your worship, your tithes, your offering or your obedience? Because sometimes we think, well, if as long as I sacrifice, I'm good. Hey, I've been fasting, right? So I should be good. Yes, you've been fasting, but you've still been in disobedience the last 14 days. So he says, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. In other words, if we truly seek God with our whole heart and with our whole soul, then naturally we have to be able to respond to the voice of God with obedience. And if not, the fasting and the sacrifice and all the efforts we're making. And it is a sacrifice to a certain extent. I wouldn't say it's the craziest sacrifice. But like I said, there's, I just miss certain things. I, I'm, there are times you're never hungrier than when you decide not to eat. <laughs> and so we're taking those moments to sacrifice. But God is saying, great, but when we talk and I tell you to do something, you're not doing that. And that part is more important than the sacrifice that you're making. And so in, in other words, and he's not saying don't sacrifice, but he's saying understand the importance and the priority of obedience in your life. Are you being obedient to what I ask you? Oftentimes, I'll hear people, especially when I'm counseling with somebody, and they'll say this, I don't know what God wants me to do next. I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what God wants me to do. And I almost always ask this, what's the last thing God asked you to do? And have you done that? And almost always it's no. Why is God going to give you new instructions when you haven't followed old instructions? Why is God going to tell you something new to do when you haven't done the old thing he told you to do? And so again, it's about obedience. It's about ensuring that we are not just going to the Lord, but that we are listening to the Lord. That when we pray, we understand that prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. Too many of us are like Jimmy Fallon standing before God, having a whole list of things to say, but we don't stop to hear him reply. Think about that, right? How often we go, God, I need this, 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 and this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, take care of that for me. Like, like God is your administrator, just here to do your to-do list all day. No, when we pray and we seek his face and we seek him with our whole heart and our whole soul, it is about being in his presence, speaking to the Lord and then taking the time to speak, allow him to speak back to us. And I think the problem most of us have with that is, and I don't knock it, I just think it's in the day and age that we live in, 
We don't have the patience to linger. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to take time tonight to linger and to seek and to wait on the Lord. And even saying it now, I feel like some of you are already uncomfortable with that thought. This is what I love about the prayer meeting. There's no service after us. There's no rush to get to lunch. We're here. And while we're here, can we take time to linger? Because I'll tell you this, when the Bible says that to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, you know what that tells me? God is patient. And I think oftentimes, God makes you wait to teach you patience. God can do it like that, right? God could just speak it and it'll happen. But sometimes God is saying, no, I'm gonna teach you how to wait on me. It's like with my children when we go somewhere, I have to teach them not to run ahead of me. And sometimes I have to go, no, wait. And I can easily have them go ahead of me. But if I let them do that, how many know my kid can get hurt? If I just let my child run ahead of me whenever they want, they can end up getting hurt because they're still children. And oftentimes God has to keep us behind them, not because he's keeping us back, but because he's keeping something bad away from us. He's preventing something from happening. We have to be able to resurrect the art of waiting on God, of setting time aside. That's why it's important when you have your daily devotionals to make sure that you set that appointment and that you set time aside. Don't try to fit God into your schedule. That never works. Again, let's liken it to some of our close relationships. If, if my wife's like, hey, I want to spend some time with her. You know what? I got like 15 minutes before I got to go to this next meeting. Just real quick, we can talk and then I can leave. And I do that every day. And I never actually take time to be with my wife. Now, with our kids, that's not always easy. That's why she likes to go in the car with me sometimes. That's times we get to talk the most. But I don't shoo my wife in. I have, I have regular appointments with her that I keep that are just for hers. Like Mondays is my wife's day, my kid's day. I try not to schedule anything on Mondays. I try to dedicate that time to my family because after doing all this, I don't want to lose my family. And in the same way, in your relationship with God, it can't just be Sunday morning because then that's corporate. You got to have some personal time with God. Like, and I've said this oftentimes, we'll, we'll have days where we'll like hang out with our family all day or we'll like go out with friends and my, me and my wife will be with all these people all day. It could be a whole weekend and we'll come back at the end and she'll look at me and go, I miss you. What do you mean you miss me? We've been together all weekend. Like, but no, I miss just being with you, not sharing you with anybody else. And I think God sometimes can feel like that where he can say, hey, I miss you. What do you mean, God? I was at church on Sunday. Yeah, we were with everybody, but you weren't with me. I want time with you. I want to just, I want, I want you to hear my heart. I want to hear what you're feeling. I want to have the intimacy with your presence. And I think one of the best ways to seek God and one of the tools that God gives us to seek him is worship. Worship team, if you can help me out. How do I know that? Listen, John chapter four, Jesus is talking to that woman at the well that we mentioned. And in verse 23, he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So, not only are we seeking the Father, but the Father is seeking us. There's a mutual search in that moment. And how do we seek God? I think it comes in worship. Now, that's for a few reasons. I think worship is one of those moments where we're no longer thinking about ourselves because that's the, the idea behind worship as it's not about my problems, it's not about what I'm going through, it's about who you are. It's about what you've already done. It's about what you continue to do in my life. 
That's why we talk about lifting up holy hands and surrendering to God. God, I'm not going to carry this anymore. I'm letting you carry it. I'm letting you be in there. That's why we talk about the freedom in worshiping God and the freedom of being in his presence. It's that time where we can just sit there and dwell on it. So I'm going to ask you to stand, church. And in a moment, I want to invite everyone again to this altar. Yeah, I know. Just in case. Now, I'm sorry if you're getting annoyed with me continually asking you to respond to the altar. But here's what I think. I think it's just too easy to hide in your chair. I think some of you willfully ignore every time I ask you to come to the altar. Not because you're ignoring me, but I think you're ignoring what God is trying to press you to do. Again, don't get me wrong. If you're 100% uncomfortable, don't just do it just to do it. You're not placating me. But I feel like when we respond physically, it's a lot easier to respond spiritually. When you step out and you gather with the people of God and you call upon his name and you just take time to linger. I think the Bible is clear. Ask and you'll be answered. Seek and you will find. Seek and you'll find me. Seek and you'll find me. I think tonight we need to find God again. We need to take time to seek him. So again,